0: Live from the Tech Talk studios in the nation's capital
1: and the heartland of America,
0: it's Tech Talk.
2: Welcome. Happy Friday. Thank you for joining us. This is Tech Talk. It's going to be a special episode since my regular co-host, Dr. Jay Greenstein, is off for the week, uh, spending time with his family on vacation, I have asked a good friend of mine and and a good friend of Dr. J's, Dr. Chris Anderson, to join me today and to be our guest co-host. You might remember Chris from his episode, Lessons from the Anderson Farm. It was a great hit. Chris, welcome today, and thank you for joining in and and being uh, our special guest host today.
1: Yeah, happy Friday to you, Brad. I'm glad to be here and uh, thrilled to step in, and uh, hopefully uh, do Jay proud, even though he's out there enjoying some sunshine. And I'll try and keep some of the barnyard stories to a minimum. Hey, people love
2: those stories, and uh, you know, I had some, uh, I had several people email me to say they absolutely loved uh, your episode, and and sort of the barnyard stories were were funny too. So. Don't ever hold that back. And maybe we can pull one or two of those out of duck today. So welcome to Tech Talk. This, this, as you know, is a radio show, podcast show where we try to talk, teach, and, and laugh and have fun with healthcare technology. You know, we just recently came off teaching a class actually at the Florida Chiropractic Association. Uh, we use the podcast as the framework to teach one of their CE classes. And everybody had a great time. We got great reviews on that. We'll be doing that again in November, no, August, at uh, National FCA in Orlando. So we're going to have some great guests from that. National-level guest, uh, Katie Talento, one of those from Washington, D.C. Katie was uh, President Trump's uh, uh, National Director of Healthcare Policymaking. Uh, she has great inside, Chris, on uh, – on what's happening in healthcare? why healthcare is out of control. And in her opinion, what do we need to do to change some of that? So if you guys have not listened to Katie's session and podcast, you need to go do that.
1: No, I, I heard that episode, Brad, and she was amazing. And the two of you, uh, when you mentioned being at FCA National, had me looking at my calendar and rethinking uh, my plans for the end of August, maybe trying to get down to that.
2: Well, it'll be, a, it'll be a great time. And, and you know, it's an opportunity uh, for us to bring people. That's what we're hoping to do. Start doing the podcast in classes like that to bring some of these amazing guests that traditionally, you know, Katie probably would be a big struggle to, to get to a, a conference like that, but this way we'll bring her virtually. And, um, and hopefully she'll bring that passion back in about changing healthcare and the policies associated with that. So today, our guest, Chris, is uh, Dr. Doug Maxineer, and he is a graduate from Logan. He's a DC. He has been involved in technology. That's sort of how I met Doug was on a Facebook page that actually Jay created um, about health tech tribes, and it's, it's guys that are involved in healthcare technology uh, that are trying to follow that. Some of them are entrepreneurs trying to change the world. And uh, that's where I met Doug. And I actually got in a little bind in lecturing, uh, what was that, in Michigan, I think, Doug, that uh, I asked Doug uh, to step in and go talk about some of the things he's interested in in technology. And I heard your great success there for standing in for me, Doug. So I appreciate that. Doug, welcome today to Tech Talk.
3: Hey, thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here. Uh, it's kind of like a, a dream. I get to be uh, talking about healthcare uh, healthcare and, um, and uh, technology at the same time. So uh, that's really, uh, really pretty fun for me.
2: Well, that's great, Doug. Listen, just to, because some of our audience may not know who you are, can you just take the next few minutes and explain your background, who you are, and, and your philosophies and, and beliefs in the chiropractic, and what leads you into the technology world?
3: Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, I've always been in the technology world, uh, I suppose. I've always had a a lean towards technology and uh, innovation and things like that. I like technical stuff. I like electronical stuff. Uh, My undergrad was in engineering physics, and so uh, that led me uh, actually into radio uh, for a while. So this is kind of like a a little bit of a homecoming for me, too, to be on on radio. (laughs) But uh, I... uh, did that for a little while. And I, as I was doing the engineering, I thought, I want to help more people. How, how can I personally help more people? And so I got into chiropractic and learned about that and helping people naturally. And in the back of my head, I've always had a, uh, wanted to do things technically. Uh, and so uh, as I learned more about chiropractic, as I learned more about physical medicine, uh, I, I thought of different ways that I could apply technology to that or, or a scientific approach to it, I guess. Um, and so uh, I wanted an easy way of doing things, an analytical way of doing things, and so um, I've tried to meld those two things together for a long time. Uh, I tend to be, uh, with the science background, the physics background, I tend to be very uh, evidence-based, and I think there's uh, an opportunity to um, take our evidence-based approach and apply technology to that, but also uh, understand that the you know some of the traditional chiropractic approaches will also benefit uh, from a technology approach and understanding mechanisms, validating mechanisms, uh, and so forth. So um, that's that's kind of my backstory. I've been a chiropractor for uh, 20 years, and uh, I, I, I started off technology focused, then chiropractic focused, and I'm leaning back more towards technology. So uh, it's an ebb and flow, I guess, for me.
2: Well, that's great. Now, you're based out of uh, New Albany, Ohio, correct?
3: Yeah, it's a suburb of Columbus, just on the east side of uh, Columbus. So, uh, also Heartland, too.
2: <laughs> Heart, that's exactly right. I guess we're all actually from the Heartland today. Jay's the one that that little uh, drop there in the beginning talks about the nation's capital. But So, I guess this is uh, the meeting of the Heartland Mines today. So, you are... A leader sort of in the area, I was very impressed about some of the technology projects that you were doing. And now that I hear your background and your education, that makes a lot of sense to me in what you're trying to do. So, you know, Kristen, you jump in here anytime that you want to. So right now, do you believe that we are, you know, I teach that we are Past a little bit of the beginning of technology in the chiropractic industry, that 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 train sort of le- left the station. So now we're just trying to get people to jump onto that train. What are your views about technology and your industry, the chiropractic industry?
3: Oh uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I think there's there's so many different facets to what technology is in healthcare, uh, specifically with chiropractic. Uh, I I think, you know, there's the aspect you can look at with um, the uh, medical records, of course, everybody's just about everybody's using uh, electronic records. We're doing uh, electronic claim submissions uh, to to make things easier. That's that's, of course, the the, kind of the business side of things. But on the uh, um, diagnostic side of things, we have different measuring tools and devices we can use. That's a, a technology uh, that we can apply to, you know, make sure we're getting precise measurements. Uh, and then, of course, we can track those measurements over time. Uh, and then, of course, all the different things that the, uh, the imaging modalities allow us to do with picking uh, the way we're able to take some of the imaging modalities and, and apply technology to those for measurements. Uh, but uh, also, of course, uh, Chris, I, I think you've got an interest in this, too, about the... Uh, um, artificial intelligence and how we can take all the information we collect, whether it 's through our, our exams or some other technology, and then process that information and uh, like I said, use artificial intelligence machine learning to then uh, calculate and inform our decision even more
1: I love what you're describing there, Doug, because um, I think my uh, my background isn't in technology, but i I want technology to be a problem solver for me and my practice with my patients, and so sometimes i I, I look at um, the way technology's been introduced to our profession and i I, I get concerned that it is is it technology for its own sake or is this a technology that's meant to solve a problem and for me and my practice with my patients and and the notion that you know we we sometimes take what's measurable and then make it important and I think what i 'm really hopeful for is that we see technology, especially with artificial intelligence and some of the deep learning processes that might be able to apply to the, the clinical record and, and to draw those data out. And, and instead of making what's measured meaningful, m- then measure what's actually meaningful and, and, um, and then take action based on that. And maybe that turns into policy at some point, and we, we get to uh, do a little bit more in the, in the chiropractic realm when it comes to broader healthcare. But uh, is that your impression, too? Do you see technology in some um, you know, corners of the profession that, that seems like it's just for technology's sake? Are you, are you more interested in, um, in finding something that can solve a problem? I think you uh, really hit the nail on the head
3: there with, uh, you know, just because we can measure it. is it valuable? And I think, uh, you know, first we have to gather that data. And so, yes, let's collect range of motion. Let's collect temperature. Let's collect blood pressure. That's just getting the information first, but then what is the relevance? We may find that range of motion, uh, you know, five degrees change in range of motion may not be clinically significant. And so we can be a little bit more, uh, broader with our uh, descriptions or our, our data gathering, we don't have to focus on, you know, three repetitions of a same range of motion so we can get it down to within two degrees. That may be irrelevant, when, you know, the, the more clinical, clinically relevant information comes at, a, at, you know, 20 degrees. Like, okay, are we getting ranges of, of 20 degrees or 25 degrees, is that enough? So yes, I think we can um, burden ourselves with technology, but it's just part of the growing pain process uh i know brad collects a lot of data and not all that data is important but we don't necessarily know what's important until we analyze it so yeah it's it's kind of a uh that's the the growing pain is yay we've got all this information but uh what are we going to do with it
2: yeah i think those are great pieces in there we're going to talk about a little bit more about that in segment two because I think, Chris, you hit on something about there is a lot of data and technology being used and, and built and stuff that really may not affect outcomes of the patients. And I know that at least you and I are interested in those kind of things. That And, and Doug, too, it sounds like, interested in those kind of things that we're really going to change the patient's life and make them better. So let's take a short little break here. We'll be back. You're listening to Tech Talk. I'm Brad Cost. My guest host today, Dr. Chris Anderson.
3: Oh just smile for me, Sarah.
2: If you feel like leaving,
1: you know you don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: As a Health USA provider, we're excited to work with you to identify which of your discounts are good, bad, or illegal. Most chiropractors bend over backwards to make their care affordable. Unfortunately, dual fee schedules, false claims, inducement violations, and time of service discounts can all put you at risk. And no offense, everybody's doing it doesn't work with auditors. At Kyra Health USA, we're here to help protect and grow your practice. Just listen to our provider stats. 20% overall practice growth versus 2019. Over 50% of CHUSA patients renew their membership year after year. Over 2,500 patients per month use our provider search directory to find a chooser provider. At ChiroHealth USA, our purpose is simple it's to improve the quality of life for our doctors, their teams, and their patients. With over 5,000 providers and nearly a million patients, Health USA is the network that works for chiropractic. For more information, call 888 719 9990 or visit www.cairohealthusa.com. Listen to the future of healthcare
2: <laughs> with the data jocks of Talk. It's Tech Talk.
3: Forever,
2: well, we're back. It was sort of a spirited conversation there just a few minutes ago about technology. And I love that, guys. Because, you know, from my perspective, I'm not a Cairo. I'm a business guy. I'm a software developer. Uh, I am one of those guys trying to get Cairo's on that train that's left. Because there are a lot of things happening in technology. And, you know, Chris, maybe that's what we need to do right now is sort of define because technology exists in many different corners uh, of the arena. Let's sort of define technology. Chris, what, what do you see? You touched on it a little bit in our first segment.
1: Touch back on that again. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, when I see the technology that's available to me in, in the different practice settings, you know, in my private practice and then when I'm working in the um, Federally Qualified Health Center, I know that the tools are different. Uh, And and primarily that's just, you know, how, how is the information from each encounter captured? And then how is that information available to other people and, and how is all those little tiny data points, how can they be put together to create the mosaic of the clinical picture for that patient? And then also describe what that encounter uh, helps them achieve. You know, so I, I think that's a big part of it. You know, another part of it is obviously on the diagnostic side. That's the one thing that I, that I see evolving more and more and becoming, uh, as we get motion capture, a lot more available to those of us in private practice more affordably. Uh, I, I get um, I get excited about it because I think we can quantify things that we previously, I think a trained eye uh, can eventually see some of that uh, movement uh, difference that, that a data capture system can, but I also get concerned because I know that in the past that's what we found with MRI. I see, you know, I, I think we can say that MRI led to a lot of spine surgeries because you, once you, you can see it, and then you can quantify it, and then you can pathologize it. And so I get concerned about uh, when it comes to technology. How do we utilize it as uh, as a uh, something to make the process uh, easier for us, better for the patient, and and definitely not a burden? Is as you mentioned, Doug, it just becomes, I think all the versions of the electronic health record have just been a burden to this point. So, and those are the different types of technology that I encounter.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think those are, uh, those are good insights to technology means so many different things to different people. And, you know, uh, for one guy, it's just, you know, using a computer for another guy, it's using the motion capture, uh, and, and, and things. And, uh, I, uh I think there's a broad range, broad definition of what everybody's comfortable with and what they can even see as a vision of what technology uh, can be. And of course I I love the analytical uh, side of the technology uh, equation. And I think uh, I'm actually curious to know what Brad uh, thinks about that too, with, uh, I mean, he's like data King when it comes to, uh, you know, all this information. And and, uh, I want to hear um, what Brad's thoughts on what technology is and how, chiropractic and other disciplines can uh, use technology or what technology even is.
2: Well, you know, I'm a data guy and uh, not necessarily technology in devices, although I, I'm a nerd and a geek when it comes to devices. But when, I, when I'm talking on this show and when I'm lecturing, I'm really talking about technology that collects information uh, that we find ways to use artificial intelligence to analyze that data in its predictive, in its current state, its predictive state, and and ultimately the goal is how to make the patients' lives better. And you know I'm a firm believer in conservative care, so that's where I get involved in the chiropractic to help them understand, and most importantly to get them to start contributing that information now. There's actually only very few ways to collect data, so I'm trying to collect as much as I can from all the different avenues, Doug, uh, just because I don't know what the future lies out there. I know the past that we're going down, but you mentioned EHRs, which right now EHRs are sort of on my cuss list because, as Chris mentioned, you know, as Chris mentioned, they're very difficult to work with. Uh, hopefully, the new interoperability laws Uh, Actually, they did start kicking in last week uh, in its first phase, and hopefully that's going to help in many different aspects next year when most of the other rules finally kick in. I I think it will make a change. We're already seeing a tad bit of that, but EHRs are limited in some aspects of what the doctor's going to put in, and it's just like a doctor charting. There are good doctors and there are bad doctors that chart, you know? Uh, I've seen Cairo charts that are literally the entire chart, one line. Well, that's not going to cut it, both in a written chart or an electronic chart. That's not giving us enough information about the patient. You know, I came up to the school and my internship where a solid H and P was really, really important, and we drilled down deeply in that to understand about the patient outside of the medical aspects of it. But Collecting that information then in claims, we bring that claims in. And, and the reason for the claims is it is a daily uh, look at those patients. It's daily of what you're seeing from a diagnostic perspective. It's daily of how they're being treated, uh, how often. And then from that, our data scientists can take and derive a lot of things about episodes, about the longevity of the treatment, and those aspects of it. But I guess ultimately, Doug, to answer your question, that technology can be a lot of different things. But for me, it's the collection of the data and what we do with that data in its analytics to look at current, future patient lives and the improvement of their lives.
3: Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that's a great aspect. That's uh, an important aspect. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, uh, had a passionate pursuit uh, <laughs> along those uh, same lines uh, the past few years, uh, with uh, you know trying to figure out exactly how what does the data mean and and how do how do we how do we bridge that data from the history and the physical exam to the uh, diagnosis and then the procedure codes the treatments uh, that are being done and and uh, you know looking at that and and trying to match that up as best as possible and. I think, uh, obviously, the, I, I think it's probably well known that the EHRs were mostly created for billing purposes. And then I think the clinical data was kind of a, a throw on, uh, and it'd be nice to <laughs> have a focus on the, on the clinical data uh, is, with a higher relevance.
2: Well, I, I agree. I think EHRs, in their conception, first, they were supposed to be this interoperability piece themselves. So everybody, all doctors of any specialty could share information that just did not happen. And still has not happened today because they are competitive companies. And because of that, they want to be very uh, proprietary in nature, and they want to charge you a huge sum of money uh, to get their little proprietary pieces of information. And that's not what the intent of the law was, but that's how it evolved. Hopefully, uh, Cures Act is going to change that in a big way. But One of the big problems, I think, and and Chris, I want to hear your piece of this is is when we're collecting information, when you're seeing a patient that presents in your office, the diagnostic aspects, now part of that goes back to your training, but I believe from my review of data, there are way many two variables of the diagnostic, especially in, in chiropractic care, where you see way too many different possibilities in that. And I believe there's got to be some standardization of of that diagnostic aspect of it so that we can make better comparables uh, from one city to another city, one state to another state, so that we can start making sure that the data that we're looking at and the outcomes we're trying to uh, find are based on comparable diagnostics. You
1: agree with that, Chris,
2: or you see it different?
1: I, I, you're you're speaking my language, Brad. That's I think uh, there's there's just no doubt in my mind that the the greatest variability when it comes to healthcare is in the diagnoses and, and getting that process right. So the value that we can add to the all of healthcare if we can get the correct diagnosis uh, right away, and if we can do that by limiting exposure to unnecessary t- tests and procedures and and other referrals, you know, that there's just so much value to bring to healthcare if we're able to do that. So when it comes to a patient, and Doug, you mentioned this, you're collecting so much information from an initial encounter with a new patient. You know, you have uh, a lot of their demographic information. You know, if you're practicing in Ohio, I'm practicing in North Dakota, there's certain variables just regionally that are going to influence, you know, their overall health and their outcomes. You know, and then we get into the clinical encounter, and we're trying to form a relationship with the new person. And, gain their trust and understand their goals and, and um, get them to describe to us what their limitations are now. And then we go into a physical exam, we collect so much data. Uh, And I'm just, uh, it's just so challenging, though, to to take all that data. And in my own brain, I I have, you know, some heuristics I probably use that I can't explain, that get me from the point where we We get the diagnosis and the treatment plan uh, formulated, but when you read my note, much of the story is, is really not there because it's, it's based on what I can recall from that encounter and maybe the things that uh, happened that I didn't put enough importance on, but uh, maybe uh, some sort of algorithm over top of that, or some, some other um, computing power could tease that out, especially over the course of, of multiple patients. So, you know, I'm just curious, Doug, what your thoughts on our, uh, are on that you talked about your passionate pursuit of, of, how do we take that data and turn it into something more meaningful?
3: Uh, yeah, that's uh, this is, this is my sweet spot. Like I'm, my heart's racing. Like I'm really excited uh, about what, what you're talking about. This is, this is really what i I've, I've focused on. And so, we get so much clinical data. And every piece of clinical data we get, whether it's from the history, whether it's from a uh, a neck disability index, something the patient tells us, uh, and then looking at the physical exam, all these little pieces of data tell us many things. They can tell us, uh, you know, what regions are involved. Or when we look at social determinants of health, we we can infer Uh, you know, what's happening neurologically or in the psychological uh, relationship that the the patient has uh, that's affecting them. And so we have these so many pieces of clinical data, and every one of them tells us many things, but we're looking for the things that rise to the top. And so you, you talk about you know, your own, uh, maybe intuition or heuristics or whatever you're using, we're trying to take, okay, these are the highlights. This is what rises to the top. And I think that's, that's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're trained to do. That's really a a reductionist approach is to like, okay, let's find the the problem and let's slap a diagnosis on it. But, um, that diagnosis doesn't tell the whole clinical picture. Like, you know, you you put, uh, you know, seven numbers uh, associated with a person. That is not their full clinical picture. And so uh, having some more of the nuance uh, and be able to tell that story, I think, is where I'd love the technology to to help us to pull out some of those little little segments in the data. Now, one way that we get um, hampered by that is we take the, the high element, the, the, the most notable element of our exam, uh, but we sometimes miss the second or third item in that differential diagnosis. So when we do a test, it's supposed to tell us a, a diagnosis, right, a differential diagnosis for what that is. And in some cases, there's a list of things. Sometimes it's one thing, very rarely, but other times there's five things and the probabilities change as we go through those different elements whether it's like straight leg raise or a question on the Oswestry or whatever. So we might miss the second, third, fourth items, but as we add more clinical pieces of information, one might negate the number one, but now we've got a summation of the second and third elements, now those will take precedence. And so, especially in some of our complex cases where we have this very mixed uh, information, Uh, of, of, you know, the patient comes in and has all these different symptoms, do they relate to the primary problem and are we able to correlate uh, their primary problem with a specific diagnosis or might it be that it's a combination of things or they might have two or three different things going on that we need to address all of them. And the other question is, okay, what's the primary? Do we have a primary thing that we need to address? Yes. They're having a uh, you know, some back pain, but maybe a higher precedence is on the psychological aspect. And we need to determine like, okay, are they in a safe living place? Do they have the uh, support mechanisms, uh, you know, psychologically, spiritually, whatever to, to handle that. And as chiropractors, I think we are able to get into that information a little bit deeper because we talk with our patients, we touch our patients, we're working with them uh, and, and are able to individualize people. I think, Uh, better than some and physical therapists are certainly in that in that category as well Uh, and so we have these many different pieces of clinical information but how do we uh, consolidate that how do we rationalize all the different uh, elements that sometimes are not as
2: apparent yeah that's those are great points but there's a whole lot that you said there and and i want to drill no no i think that's important but When we get back into the next segment, I want to start in and drill down on some of that and talk to you a little bit where I think that uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to come in to help us on that. We're going to take a short break uh, and recognize today our guests, uh, Cairo Health USA, Infinity, and Kaizenovate. Thanks guys for supporting us. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Reaching your potential brings you the freedom to run your practice the way that you want. Does that mean gaining more patience or more profit? Or more time spent pursuing other dreams? Kaizenovate can help you achieve the freedom you want by providing the education, technology, and consultation expertise to help you grow your practice and achieve your dreams. Kaizenovate, the developer of the Canvas app, the app that can take your practice to the next level by providing a customized, direct connection between your practice and patients. Through a built-in rewards program, Canvas can grow new and existing patient numbers and increase your patient's adherence to care plans. What does your custom dream app look like? Elevate your practice with Kaizenovate. Don't
0: you cry no more.
2: Well, we're back. We're uh, talking with Doug Maxenter. Doug, uh, Doug is, uh, is a leading guy in trying to understand and one of those great kairos that's trying to accept technology and help us get out there and and help Kairos understand how they need to help join in on this data collection, and then using the technology that evolves from that. You know, there were some things that you said that I want to unpack and talk a little bit more about. Um, Some of the things you were talking about, you were talking about a lot of steps, and I see that happening. Just even using the technology, when you start breaking that down into its individual components, of how data comes in on a claim and the diagnosis and the procedures that are done. And then when we look at that over many different episodes, treatment levels and then episodes across that, uh, then it becomes pretty complex. And all of the points that you were listing and then one of the things that you didn't list that I believe that artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to jump in here and really make better is is looking at patients' perspectives, not just the patient that presented in your office, but the other million patients that presented that day. And some of those are going to be presenting in the exact same way. What's been their outcome? You know, what happened to them? How were they diagnosed to help you and give you another tool as a clinical doc to make better decisions looking at those things?
1: Chris, you agree with that? Oh, I love it. And, and I think it's a great opportunity for us as a profession, if we participate in this kind of uh, data collection and review uh, and an- analyses that, it, especially with other healthcare providers, uh, other specialties, when they see, you know, what the course of a patient's uh, prognosis is based on, you know, a million different cases, as you mentioned, as of the example here, uh, you know, hopefully the ones that have been to the chiropractor start to stick out. And, and that becomes comes pretty obvious pretty quickly that hey if we uh, use conservative care like it ought to be used as a first line uh, service for a lot of these different types of patients then their outcomes are going to be much much better and their value uh, to the whole system is is going to be much much better as well and so that's that's what I'm excited about but um, Doug you mentioned a little bit about um, how we prioritize some of the information that we get in the clinical encounter and I just start thinking about Uh, likelihood ratios and probabilities and then how you balance all that stuff and I had a chance to take a look at what you've been working on with exam zoom and I I just love the way that it it helps to in graphical presentation consolidate all those variables into something that I can visualize so can you talk about that a little bit
3: yeah yeah I've I've tried to uh, make that process a little bit easier Uh, one thing we know is uh, that Even given the best information, uh, doctors don't make the best uh, diagnoses. And so uh, when we look at the um, interpretations of the likelihood ratios and pretest probabilities, um, uh, let me go back and just explain what those are in case anybody doesn't understand. But the pretest probability is basically the prevalence Something is in society. So, uh, you know, there might be, uh, assume there's a 3% prevalence. So, uh, out of a 100 people, uh, three people have a certain condition. And just like Brad was talking about, we're basing this a lot of times off of the claims data. You know, what is the, what is the diagnosis? And okay, there's a population, and here's how many people in that population have this uh, diagnosis. So, we're starting off with a pretest probability. And honestly, that's a guess from guess for most patients. Um, We have some assumptions about what that is. It of course varies by practice. So a cardiologist is gonna be different than a chiropractor and what that pretest probability is. So we start with that. And then we we ask them some questions and we do some tests. And each of those questions and tests has a likelihood ratio associated with it. So from our 3% prevalence or 3% pretest probability. I do some test on it. And now I've, I've got a positive likelihood ratio, uh, uh that's some number, let's say it's, uh, you know, five. Okay. So I, I need to convert <laughs> that pretest uh, probability into a pretest odds. I take that pretest odds multiply by multiplied by my likelihood ratio uh my positive likelihood ratio if they failed the test and then i end up with my post-test odds which then needs converted to post-test probability so there's a lot of math steps in there and well, my patient uh,
1: just they just walked out if i had to try and do that all on my own
3: yes <laughs> no so the, the the good news is if you hate math you need to look up and see what a fagan nomogram is and, and that's basically you just plot two points and draw a line and you've got your, your answer there. So that's a, that's a, 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 a I hate math solution. Uh, but the, the, the answer is, um, even when we have the correct clinical data, that we have the right pretest probability and we have the right likelihood ratio, we still are not doing the right calculations. Now, that's with one test. If we add in four tests, five tests, they're each going to change that. And if all the tests are positive, like we see in a test cluster, so we, we I think in the chiropractic world and physical medicine, physical therapy world, we see a lot about how the importance of test clusters. So basically, can we add up and can we stack up all our results and, and end up reinforcing our diagnosis even more? Uh, that's... Uh, uh, makes the calculations even more difficult because some tests we do add to that result. And some tests, some things we do, if we have a negative likelihood ratio, so they, the patient, patient passed that test and, and uh, they were a negative test. And so now the odds or the probability of them having that decreases. So we need to take all these adds and all these minuses and uh, add them all together. And that's what gives us our clinical picture. That's the heuristics you were talking about, uh, about understanding like, oh, how do all these pieces fit together? And so it's really looking at all those different elements. And the answer is, one, we're starting with bad data. Two, we don't know, need to know necessarily how to do the calculations. And then we're unfortunately throwing that information into our clinical diagnosis. And so, uh, you know, we get a lot of information from that, but it's not as reliable as we want it to be. So we need to find a way of cleaning that up. Uh, and I think uh, taking large amounts of data like, like Brad was talking about, uh, kind of kind of lets us uh, filter that and cleans it up and, and does a, a great job of um, helping to identify what steps maybe were missed or what clinical pieces of information that ah, we've got this other data that he's got that he can look at and say, "Oh well, when I add these two together, I can figure out why this subgroup and this and that subgroup are different. And how we can you know treat them different, how we can predict their outcomes, and maybe manage their care uh, a little bit better.
2: Yeah, one of the things that we're doing in our next tool release, SnapHX, is we built AI to look at all of the health problems a patient has, and, and put those in a hierarchical form. So the AI actually ranks those. So when when they when the doctor, whatever specialty is looking at that, it automatically list them from the most significant health problem to start out with. And that's one of the things that I think chiropractic has really missed out on. They just don't have those outside records. You only have the records that you have within yourself in most cases. I know there's some other scenarios where you get outside records, but it's pretty limited. But Doug, if you had all of the outside records that every physician that was seeing that patient currently if you had access to their diagnosis and their procedures, and then you had access to all the medication lists that that patient were on, you might sometimes arrive at a different diagnosis or at least a different treatment plan knowing all that additional information, wouldn't you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you need to know those different things. You need to understand that, uh, you know, look, like you said, looking at the medication list, there, there might be a, a, a change that happened six months ago. And the, the relevance of that change, what was that medication doing that was affecting some system that we needed to change it? And how does that factor into the clinical picture? Now, the gold mine is in the exam data and the, and the uh, subjective data. Uh, and that's, that's where it is because we're, we're summarizing all that data to get at the diagnosis data. And like I said, maybe that's right, maybe it's not right, but it's, it's the interpretation of that data is what the diagnosis is. I wanna get even deeper into data and see, I wanna know the straight leg raise. What was what was the result of that? i, I not just pass or fail. I wanna know how far did the leg move on that straight leg raise? You know, if it goes 50 degrees, versus 90 degrees for positive response, that tells me different clinical information. But on the paper, it just says straight leg raise positive. But I I want that deeper dive of data. So we've got so much more data that we can can extrapolate from. And then having that, a bigger pile of data to throw into the AI is going to clean that up tremendously. So now we're looking at Uh, you know, subjective data from the outcomes assessments, from the questionnaires that we give them. Uh, We're looking at the exam data. We're looking at imaging data. We're looking at blood work. All that has important information. And then summarizing all that, that's where the diagnosis is. So if the diagnosis is correct, we're good. We're good. But there, there might be some other things, some, some highlights to, to notice that, okay, they're on lisinopril at this point and most people a year down the line, maybe they need to up their dosage or change something. But is there a subset that says, oh, six months, some people had an adverse cardiac event. And so we need to be aware of that. And that's something that you're, you know, you're seeing that, but I want to, uh, you know, that's a good predictor tool that you're able to see like, oh, this, this group is happening and this is happening in this population. How can we make that even more valuable by looking at a bigger chunk of data so- you know
2: it was a big enough I've worked for two and a half years on this tool and it's it was a big it's a big enough project in in the launch of this tool to organize think about all of this on patients every doctor that that patient is currently seeing, every hospitalization, every ER visit, every home health visit, you know um, uh, the medication, uh, and then trying to organize all that information, the biometrics that come with that, the A1C, the blood pressure ratings, and, and, and I threw social determinants in that, and then – gap measurement so from our from our mips registry we we learned a lot about how to fill in healthcare gaps because we found those really can change the outcomes of patients by finding where where they have gaps in care you know are they obese do they smoke do they have high blood pressure uh, you can really effectively make big changes in that but in that research we then discovered Well, there's all these social determinants that can affect that. Are they homeless? Are they living in a cardboard box? Do they have to chase down food and only eat once a day or once every other day? And for a big section of population, Chris Chris is finding this out. Then your treatment changes, techniques change drastically sometimes. So starting out, we're doing that, but I agree. And if you think about all that information and then How to apply the human brain can't think all that way through, Doug. You know that. And so then trying to apply what scales, what calculations, what formularies do we apply to that in looking out to see, here's their past, here's predictors of what's gonna they're gonna be like in six months, twelve months, eighteen months. We want to help you to reach out there and predict that. And if we get all of this right, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna change the cost of healthcare. Because we're, we, we quickly found out that there are patients that the government's spending $600,000 a year on. And most of that is repetitive testing. You go into a hospital, 20,000, 30,000 bucks right off the bat, just repetitive, trying to keep the hospitals in business. That's all that is. And how can we change that and organize that so even conservative care can be a part of that picture? And that's what I did. I went back to that significant problem history tool, and I actually applied conservative care. So even the first version of this tool is going to come out is going to have the chiropractic version in there. It's a little different of how patients are seen because you see the patient so much more often. And uh, so we, we show all those individual episodes. You can click on any one of the episodes. It's all graphical, and it pops up a box to tell you what was the diagnosis, what are the procedures, how much money was spent. It gives you all those drill-down details, and then ultimately it wraps it all up to an episodic summary that here's a summary of that entire episode and what's going on, and then it shows all these other uh, clinicians that have been seeing this patient. And then we'll start stacking all those together to give you an overall patient summary. And then another major thing I think is important, we're showing that to the patient. We're, we're being totally transparent to the patient and giving patients access to all of that information also because we want to ask them questions. We're going to put surveys out to them and say, how was your pain after you saw Doug the other day? You know, how do you rate your treatment as it's going on? Do you feel better? Uh, did it cause any of your other clinicians? You know, that's the other thing we're going to be looking for. Did it change any of the other, way, the other clinicians' treatment schedules because of what chiropractic has been done? And now recorded, and and I think it'll I think it'll radically radically change patients' lives when we start throwing corded conservative care into that picture.
3: I I think having that full clinical picture of what's going on with the patient, both uh, at the single doctor's office at your uh, you know one chiropractor's office, but to tie in the medical endocrinologist, uh, hematologist. Uh, and have that full clinical picture available to the patient. That's part of what the, uh, the, what the CARES Act uh, is, uh, is, is trying to do. Um, you know, one tool that patients can use is uh, Apple Health. Uh, they uh, do a real good job of bringing in all the records so they're at least all in one place. Uh, and that's a, that's a powerful tool. But there's a lot of technology companies that are, are trying to get everybody's clinical data in one place. And uh, like I said, a lot of the the sandboxes are not playing nice with each other. <laughs> and so forcing that change needs to happen for that clinical picture, for that bigger range of data, so that then we can do some useful things with that data.
2: That's what we're doing at QVH Health Systems, my other analytical software company. That's exactly what we're doing, Doug, is we're organizing that. and And- There are one or two playing nice, but still the vast majority of, and we'll see, the law has, it's the Cures Act, the law has not fully kicked in yet because the delays of COVID, but uh, we had one that we've been fighting for a year uh, that last week decided to start playing nicely again, and it's probably because that first phase of the Cures Act kicked in, we, we hope but you know i've spent a quarter of a million dollars this last year just making connections with ehrs across the united states that's it shouldn't be that way and it, and the government really clearly in this law uh really says guys you're going to play this way or you're not going to get to play at all and we actively will start filing uh compliance uh statements of where they're not we're go- we're going to actively do that because We think when the government gets involved, and the other thing that we found is where there's grant money in the world, like HRSA and some of those things in the facility world, uh, their examiners do not take nicely. We're getting ready to go through an audit with one of them for our groups that we're doing in Texas. Uh, They have great power in preventing grant money to go to these facilities because these groups are not playing nicely. And uh, so hopefully that'll be another, you know, another string that can be pulled to make this a... Occur,
1: yeah, Brad. I I just want to comment, like to, for listeners, if you're a chiropractor and you're hearing everything that Brad's putting into this tool and and everything that Doug's uh, doing to to help uh, make the data we collect in our practice with those patient encounters more meaningful, you know, these are the tools that we need to be using now because everyone else is collecting this information about us, so we're being profiled by the health plans, um, by um, by other um, entities and. You know, we need to we need to take control of our own data and have our own profile built out, so that you know we know what our patient satisfaction scores are, we know what our net promoter scores are, we know what kind of outcomes we get, we know what kind of patients we see. We can aggregate our patient data. We can use these tools. You know, the things that uh, Brad has built. Uh, if we're not going to use them, then you know it, it's not all for naught. But boy, there's just so much value there. That if we if we don't take advantage of the opportunity and and as the train's already left you know we we're trying to run and catch up we are behind so I hope everyone uh, can take this to heart and understand that, that you know we really have to start deploying some of these tools
2: yeah thank you Chris Doug we're running long here so what if what if there, any of our audience out there. Would like to get hold of you to talk about what you're talking about today, talk to you about your exam zoom. Can do you have a contact information website that you can direct them to?
3: Absolutely, yeah. There's a exam zoom and it's a zoom with an X so E X A M X O O M dot net. And then uh, if anybody wants to call and uh, uh, chat and Find out uh, more about what I'm talking about or wants to argue with me. uh, You can call me 614-600-2225. But uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Also, my uh, email's on there or whatever, uh, too, but uh, on the website. But uh, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear feedback from people. If you want to challenge uh, the approach I'm taking, uh, learn more about it. Uh, the software, will uh, it's forever uh, in development, but uh, I, I really wanted to refine it and, and get it to where it was working. Uh, I changed uh, some of the uh, descriptions of what's uh, our classic uh, understanding of, of tests and their interpretations, but then we can search that uh, and we can apply it and we can really quickly come to the, uh, the, the post-test probabilities. All those calculations that we were talking about are all generated uh, automatically just by uh, clicking a, a few buttons, uh, pass, fail. Uh, it's all customizable. Uh, so I'd uh, love to, you know, chat with some more people about that if they're uh, interested in learning.
2: Doug, listen, thank you for spending the last hour. We appreciate your time. Uh, it's been good to get to know you a little better. Again, I, I only knew you from uh, email and from the Health Tech Tribe uh, website, Facebook side, and and I really have enjoyed it. I look forward to doing things in the future with you too.
3: This was a lot of fun. I uh, I enjoyed this. Uh, Like I said, anytime I can talk about technology and healthcare, uh, it's a it's a win for me. So I really appreciate uh, you and uh, Chris, uh, your discussion and uh, questions, and uh, hopefully I added a little bit of something to it. Uh,
2: You absolutely did, Chris, my friend. Thank you for helping me out today. Uh, I know Jay appreciates you jumping in and and um, taking his place today, but I really appreciate it. It's been great having you back on to the show as a host. And uh, I look forward to doing it again with you, my friend.
1: Hey, my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. So anytime I can help Jay out, anytime I can uh, hang out with you for a while and hear hear you talk about what you're working on, I'd love it too. So anytime. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it.
2: Guys, listen, I hope you have a great Friday and a great weekend. Chris, I I just want to say thank you for stepping in, being the guest host this week. It's been a lot of fun having you with me. Dr. J, I know you're out there having a vacation. I hope that you're having a good time with your family. I look forward to you being back with me uh, next week. For the audience, thank you for joining us today. I hope that you have a great weekend. From myself, Brad Koss, my guest host, Dr. Chris Anderson, have a good day.
0: Come on. And the Data Doc of Talk
2: is Tech Talk. This episode is sponsored by Infinity. In the modern age of electronic data interchange, Infinity is committed to helping clinicians get paid fast so that they can spend less time tracking claims and more times with their patients. As a pro-advocate for the healthcare industry, we create tools that make sense for electronic claims processing and business analytics, You couple that with superior support team, we strive to ensure your business is performing at its best. Infinity, committed to the future of claim processing. You are listening to Tech Talk, which is heard on Anchor FM and many other internet radio stations around the globe. Thank you for joining
0: us.